right, good morning, everybody. Fourth and fifth graders, you may go to your class. Fourth and fifth graders, you can go to your class. In keeping with the Mission Impossible theme, I thought it would be cool if something like were to blow up. You know, at the end he gets his uh, message and then it self-destructs like some sermon notes just kind of poof, go out and then kind of... Welcome this morning, glad that you're here. We begin a new series entitled Mission Possible, and I want to begin with story. And stories are, are very important. They shape identity, they shape who we are. Everyone here has a story. And one of my favorite things is to get to sit down and talk to somebody and hear their life story, to hear what it is that they've struggled with, the pain, the suffering they went through, and at the exact same time, the victories, the great things that went on. Because in the end, as you get a glimpse of somebody's story, you get a picture of who they are. And stories are very important in shaping that identity and, 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 and those sorts of terms. And, and even God knows that story is important by way of helping us see and appreciate and understand who we are and where we're at. We all love the good story, whether it's in a good book or a fantastic movie. We love the idea of story. And God even, in His Word, has His people Israel once a year sit down and retell their story. They do so at what's called the Passover. And still, even today, once a year, the Jewish community gets together, they have a Seder meal, and they retell the story. And so they recount the story, all in first person. It's never, that, it's a never third person. It's always us and we, what God did for us personally. And they tell this story about a God who is so powerful that he was able to deliver them from their enemy and slavery in Egypt and rescued them with his right hand. I mean, this is a whole story. And the point is, every year, to have your life recalibrated to that reality, to who God is and who we are and what he's done. And because of that, we think it's important to tell our story. Because churches have stories as well, and the Living Stones Church has a story, and it's important for us to, at least once a year, to tell the story of God's calling on our life as a church so that we will always be reminded of who we are, what God has called us to, and who He is for the sake of those around us. And so this morning, I just want to tell our story, if I might, and in it, hopefully let it shape and redirect and recalibrate. This is our calling. This is what God has called us to, and in it to make this, because statistics tell us it's a weird phenomenon, but churches especially might start with a very specific calling from God, and what happens is usually within 12 to 15 years, they begin to stray off of that calling, they begin to forget their story, and they become consumed with something else, and it's usually internal. Like as a church gets bigger, they need more programs and more ministries. The next thing you know, the entire engine of the church runs around our wants, our desires, our likes, and so it's just good once a year to remind ourselves as a church, oh yeah, let us not forget This is what God has called us to, and we want to be faithful in that. So if I might, our story. It begins in 1956. It actually, it precedes that just a little bit. And if you'll see here, this is what the, it was the Dalmore Avenue Church of Christ. It was built in 1956. This is what it looks like. Everyone knows what's missing? What's missing? There's no trees. There's no rocks. This is what it used to look like in 1956. On the inside, it looked like this. You see that? Weird. Those walls were all gray cinder block. There was no color to them whatsoever. I remember when my, my wife, when she visited here for the very first time, she's from St. Louis, she walked in and just was, why did you guys never paint the cinder block? I don't know, we never painted it. But anyhow, that's what it used to look like with pews and those sorts of things. It began in 1956. And so uh, what happened is it actually started at a little church down on the corner of Calvert and Caroline. Hold on, wait one second, Wally. Uh, on, the, on the corner of Calvert and Caroline, there's a Lincoln School across the street. I don't know what it is now. It used to be a bakery, a little bread shop. And the next to it is another church building. That's the Calvert and Caroline Church of Christ. That's where this church came from. But in 1956, it had overgrown its property. And so it bought this property here at the 718 East Dahmer. My understanding is from the Grace United Methodist Church. And they built this building. And the intent was everyone who was there 
was supposed to move here, but at the last minute, some conflict broke out, and some people didn't want to take on debt. So the leaders at the time said, well, you can keep the build, building. The rest of us are going to move on. So we began in 1956 as the Donmore Avenue Church of Christ. And if you have any familiarity with Churches of Christ, we were an a cappella Church of Christ, which means we had no instruments in worship. So just picture in your mind, there's no drums, there's no guitars, there's no keyboards. We all sang four-part harmony. So you would need to know whether you're an alto or a bass or a tenor. And isn't that crazy? We'd have a guy growing up. As one guy would stand up with his little hymn and would say, number 213. And we'd all turn to 213. He'd raise his hand like this. And then we'd go. And we'd sing a song. It was all a cappella. And it was that way from 1956 all the way up to 2006, which would be part of our story. I'll get to here in just, in just a moment. But it was a acapella Church of Christ. And then here's some pictures from 1982 because you can see the hairstyles in that. 1982. That's what, look at that. Isn't that great? That's the style back in the... Okay, here, look at the next one. Look at that. You guys know who that is on that slide right there? That's a much younger Chuck Barrington over here. Isn't that great? And so 1982 was that. And so we have a history. And in terms of my story personally, I've got a history here too. I was born into this church in 1971. Here's what it looks like. Oh, wait, 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 wait before I get there. 1962... Uh, Everything from the double doors down, all that Kids Canyon, was not part of the original building in 1956. That was added in 1962 because of the growth. So that's when that was, and here's the Tribune article of that expansion, and the bottom picture was the nursery at the time. So that in 1962. Go back now, 1971, the Barrington family right there. You see that? Look at my mom's hair. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> she looks like a pumpkin. And that 5.5-ounce, one-month premature little baby is me. So I'm a child of this church. I'm a son of this church. I've been here since 1971, which would mean I'm 24 years old. So that's the that's a very... She was here at 930. Show the next picture here. Here's the Richards, Helen Richard right there, her and her husband Don. They have the honor of being the ones who've been here longer than anyone else at this church are Don and Helen Richards. They could go all the way back to the days of Calvert and Caroline, and Helen was here at 930, so I got to make fun of her in front of everybody, and that was fantastic. So as a child of this church, and growing up, uh, we serve the constituencies of Acapella Church of Christ families. Like, that's what we did. Now, we wouldn't have said that out loud by way of vision, like that's what we do, but, it, but that is really kind of what we all had in common. We all were from the background of, let me, let me just by show of hands, how many of you are from a background in Acapella Church of Christ? Anyone? Okay, everyone look around and see just, very, just a handful, just very few could remember an Acapella Church of Christ. Man, that's just always phenomenal to me every time I, every time I do that. But anyhow, uh, so here's what happens. Uh, fast forward. There's lots in the story, but I fast forward personally. I go away to college, and I'm gone for seven and a half years. And while I'm gone, uh, there are other acapella churches of Christ that are around our area, Michiana. I mean, there's some in Elkhart and Laporte and Niles and, and all over the place in Plymouth. And what happens is, and what we do really good is we fight and split. Like, we're really talented in the acapella churches of Christ with dividing. And so that happened a lot. And out of that, lots of young families started coming to the Dahmer Avenue Church of Christ. And so when I moved back here in January of 1997 to begin my ministry here, it was sort of like half the church was brand new. They'd come here over the past seven and a half years. They were coming from other acapella churches of Christ. But what held us all together was our background. And we were driving from all over the place. There were people coming from Laporte, people were coming from Granger, people were coming from Niles, people were coming from Lakeville. I mean, it didn't seem like anybody was centrally located here next to 718 East Dummer Avenue. We're coming from all over the place. So fast forward to 1999, we had this brilliant idea of we should sell this property and this church building and we should go and build a brand new building. So in 1999, we put together committees in our church to investigate this, and we hired church growth services to help us get out of Dodge so we can move and go somewhere else because our building was starting to get, starting to get old, a little dilapidated, and we didn't have air conditioning at the time. Now, we've got it now, but we didn't have it. In, isn't that crazy? 
which that might not be a big deal to you this morning because it's winter, but I'm telling you in July, when the preacher's up there preaching, he's not even talking about hell, but it feels like you're in hell because it's so hot and miserable. So we thought, hey, you know what? Sometimes if you go build a brand new church building on a major highway or bypass or thoroughfare and then put a nice fancy sign that kind of blinked at everybody, sometimes you can grow a church just like that. And so we had this brilliant idea that we should do that, and we began that process. So fast forward, 1999, 2000, we're talking about these things, 2001 takes place. And in 2001, I'm about to turn 30 years old, okay, which means I'm 24 years old now. But in 2001, I was about to turn 30. And as you read through the New Testament, what you'll discover is when Jesus turned 30, he entered into public ministry. And the way he did that is to proceed it with 40 days of prayer and fasting. So before he turned 30 and went into public ministry, he did 40 days of prayer and fasting. And I thought to myself, you know, when I turn 30, I'd like to do 40 days of just prayer and fasting. So in June 7th was the day I began on 2001. I began a 40-day fast in which I was going to pray for all sorts of things, lots of things in my own life personally, but also for the church here at Dahmer Avenue Church of Christ and for our direction and for God's blessing that we can sell our building and get out of Dodge and get a brand new sign with air conditioning. It was beautiful. The last 10 days of that uh, 40-day fast, I decided to go off to uh, the Lindenwood Retreat Center, which is outside of Don it's in Donaldson, Indiana. That's what it looks like right there. And I just spent 10 days in silence and solitude. Now, that might be great for you, but if you've got my personality, 10 days of silence and solitude is excruciating. It'd like kill you after three days, but then you kind of get used to it and then you begin to enjoy it. But it was in that time, I was in room number seven at the Lindenwood Retreat Center and praying that the Lord would bless us and bless our move and getting out of this place and getting air conditioning. And as I was praying for this to take place, all of a sudden the Lord spoke back and said, what makes you think you'll be a better steward somewhere else than where you're at now? That wasn't mean, wasn't harsh. I didn't feel like God was judging me or crushing me. It was simply the question of what makes you think Selling this property, selling this building, and moving somewhere else is going to all of a sudden make you a better steward of the things of his kingdom than where we're at presently. And it was one of those moments in my life where it was just like, a, all right, Lord, we're going to get air conditioning and new building in. Huh? Because I'm totally jazzed about the idea of moving and getting out of here. But then on that same evening, all of a sudden, the Lord began to bring to mind things that I knew. It wasn't like the supernatural revelation of things I'd never seen before. I mean, I grew up here on the south side of South Bend, and all of a sudden, this one evening, all of a sudden, I began to think about the Miami Hills apartments. And I don't know if you know anything about the Miami Hills apartments. They're just in terms of proximity. Our parking lot's right here. You jump over this fence, you'll hit the synagogue. You jump over one more fence, you'll be at Miami Hills. And Miami Hills is a government-subsidized apartment complex that has anything and everything by way of poverty and drugs and addictions and some crime and people who are struggling and, and just trying to make it in life. And I couldn't think, at least in the time that I'd been a part of this church, where we as a church had done anything of much consequence or significance for the kingdom of God for anybody who lived at the Miami Hills apartments, even though it was just right around the corner from us. And at the same evening, I started to think about the Southmore Housing Co-op, which is different than Miami Hills, but it's, it was old army housing that was constructed. And I mean, tons of people live back there. If you've never been back there, it's across the Monroe School there on Fellows, and man, it goes on forever. Lots of people live in Southmore. And once again, by proximity, just kind of jumping a skip right across the parking lot. And I couldn't think of a time where we had done anything by way of any consequence for the kingdom of God for anyone who lived at Southmore. And then I started to think about Monroe School, which is just a block and a half away. I mean, really, I even went to Monroe School 
And when I came back, I never thought much of it until this evening when the Lord started to show me where we were and what was around us. And I started thinking about the Monroe School. And in 2001, Monroe School was the largest elementary school in the South Bend school system. Now, I don't know if it still is after Plan Z and all that, but at least at the time, the largest elementary school. And it had the, low, or the second to the lowest I-STEP test scores in our community, which will be a reflection of our neighborhood and the community that we lived in. Which, by the way, at 9.30, the principal Monroe and the administrative assistant Monroe is here this morning at 9.30. It's good to see them here. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I started to think about Monroe School. And then if you kind of go out our driveway to the, to the uh, Erskine, is right here out of our driveway, you go nine blocks north on Erskine, and it dead ends where? Riley High School. I graduated in 1989, which made me 24 years old. And I just was trying to think through, right, all the two and a half blocks away from Riley High School is another elementary school called Studebaker. Now, it does, it's not open as an elementary school anymore. In fact, Monroe's remodeling, so they're meeting in Studebaker. But in 2001, Studebaker was open, and they had the lowest I-STEP test scores in our community. And this is what's all around us. And then all of a sudden, the Lord just started to bring to mind, just if you were to think about it, Miami Hills, sophomore housing co-op, just in your mind, picture going down downward to Michigan Street. And Michigan Street, you can find everything. I mean, from prostitution to drugs to pornography to you name it, it's there right around the corner. And I started thinking about all the things that are from, from Donward to Michigan, Michigan to Indiana Avenue. Just picture that in your mind. Indiana Avenue back to Miami Street and back up here to Donward. Just in that little section, the furthest point is 1.3 miles away on the corner of Indiana and, uh, uh, and Michigan, which I guess is supposed to have a nice Hispanic grocery store that makes some, some excellent uh, tamales. So, I mean, you know, just a plug in there. Anyhow, furthest point is 1.3 miles. The census just came out in 2000, so we could go online to see, like, who lived in our community. And did you know that just, where's the little map there? Go, go to the map of uh, just that little section. There it is right there. In this little section that I just was talking about, there are over 10,000 people who live right around us. The furthest point being 1.3 miles away. 10,000! And we were talking about moving. Like, we're going to move somewhere else, away from 10,000 people who live in immediate neighborhoods around our church building. In fact, if you take a look at the map of the south side of South Bend, which is next, we're like almost smack dab in the middle of the south side of South Bend. And so I was just in this one evening convicted that I think the Lord was saying, you're not supposed to move, you're supposed to stay, and you're supposed to figure out how do you shift and transition from being a church that was inward focused, <laughs> and let me tell you, I mean, inward focused, and serving the constituencies of Acapella Church of Christ families to being outward focused and existing for the sake of the neighborhood, the schools, the apartment complexes, and the community around us. And I left thinking, we've got to abandon all the plans we had to move. And so I got together with all the leaders because I'm not overly confident in my ability to hear the voice of the Lord very well. So we got together and we had a meeting in which I just shared, I think this is what the Lord might want us to do. Let's just take some time to pray about this. We all broke up and, and went away. And then we prayed about it. We came back and every one of the leaders unanimously said that we were supposed to abandon our plans to move and we we're supposed to dig roots, uh, deep roots here at 718 East Donmoyer and figure out how do you be an outward church for the sake of the community around us. And so... We began the process, and most of it was just talk at first because we didn't know what we were doing, right? We'd never done this before. We'd been here for almost 50 years on this spot, and we're trying to figure out how do you make such a huge, not like tinkering with cosmetic stuff, because you could do that. I mean, any church could do that. Let's change this. I mean, how at the very core of our DNA do we shift from being this to this? And as you can imagine, that didn't come without struggle, and there was a lot of pain in that. So we had some conversations, and the whole year of 2003 was a rough year for us. Like, we lost... Half of our church walked away. It wasn't all at one time. It was kind of throughout the year. It was sad. It was depressing. If you were here back then, you remember how sad and depressing it was. And then in December of 2003, one more family left, and we knew that was it. Now, they didn't cause it. They wasn't about them. But for whatever reason, when they left, the rest of us who remained just knew 
that season of losing was just kind of over. And so we entered 2004 as a year of peace. And that's really what it was. I mean, it, you had to have time to heal, and people had sacrificed a lot to remain here and remain here for this calling that we felt God had placed on us. And so 2004 was largely getting our breath back and trying to heal and trying to be okay. But nobody sacrificed that much just for peace. Nobody stuck around, said goodbye to good friends, goodbye to good people, so that we could just kind of have the vision of let's get along and have peace. What they stood for was this vision that God had called us to radically transform the south side of South Bend around us. So by the end of 2004, the conversation shifted to, well, are we going to go at it or not? So we decided we should go at it. So 2005 was, you understand, this is a real close history to us. 2005 was a year of lots of conversations. Well, we got to talk about this. What? Based on this calling from God, what is this going to look like? How do we do this? We've never done this before. What are the things that need to change? And I'm telling you, it was crazy to us because even things that we thought should change, we didn't know how to change. It weren't going to be for God moving in a miraculous way to provide it. I mean, even think about worship. We were a cappella, right? Well, if you're really into instrumental music, like you could really, you're down on the instruments and could play them really well, you don't hang out in an a cappella church of Christ. And so even if we said, hey, next week we're going to be instrumental, it's like, and who's going to play what? Like, we don't play anything. Like, I'm on the kazoo. Woo! You know, <laughs> these are the days of Elijah. I mean, you see, do, do, do. It's like, anyhow, he was messed up. So, man, we began praying. And, and I mean, like, in six weeks' time, the Lord just sent to us people who would never hang out in Acapella Church of Christ, who could play keyboards, who could sing, who could lead. I, I met Doug here. We went to, a, oh, what was it called? By McCree's Deli was what it was called at the time. I just wanted to prick his brain on how do you go instrumental because we were a cappella. We started talking about our church, what God had called us to. Next thing you know, Doug says, well, I'd like to be a part of that. That's fantastic. Come on over. Next thing you know, drummers show up, guitars show up, keyboarders show up. It was fun. I mean, that could only have been a God thing. In fact, I was so arrogant, I took guitar lessons knowing that the church would need me, right? I mean, just, <laughs> they're going to need me. So I'm talking to my guitar teacher and talking about the church, and you know, I'd like to be a part of a church like that. Well, that's fantastic. So Alex Peake, who plays electric guitar, shows up, and he brings his wife, Lindsay, who plays the key. I mean, it was just like, that guy, see, I could quit my lessons. They don't even need me. This is fantastic. And all sorts of things were taking place. And so out of those conversations of 2005, and, and if you were there at the time, you remember, you remember in the back rooms back there, we were trying to huddle together, and, you know, how do we do this? What do we say? What's our... So this is what we came out of, two things. One is our mission statement, and the other is our vision statement. Here's our mission statement. It is to cooperate in God's mission of love. Now, this is important to us because there's key words here that are significant. One is the idea of co to cooperate. It, and what that means for us is we don't have to start anything. We don't have to instigate anything. God is already at work, right? God is alive, and he is already at work, and our task is not to create something, to make something happen, to get God to do something. Our task is to find out what God is already doing and just join in with him because we found it's just easier that way, and we're lazy like that. <laughs> you just cooperate with what God is already doing, and he takes you places you could have never gotten to if you're trying to get it started all on your own. So that's our prayer. Lord, where are you? What are you doing? What schools, what apartment complexes, what homes are you already at work in? Because God loves the neighborhood and the schools around us far more than we could ever imagine. And so let's just work along with him. But secondly, his mission is one of love. Now this is important. As we look at the ministry of Jesus, what he does is he reveals to those who have no idea, who cannot believe it, who know themselves well enough that they think it cannot be possible that God loves them. And his ministry is a radical undoing of their thinking for them to know that God is crazy in love with them no matter what they've done, no matter what they've experienced, and that they have access into the kingdom of God because of God's grace and his mercy. It is a mission of love, which is opposite than a mission of judgment and anger because churches could be like that, can't they? I mean, there's some angry churches out there. Yeah, why are you so angry all the time? 
See, we don't want to be angry, and we don't think God has called us to tell everybody around us, hey, God's wrath is going to be on you, and you're lucky if you don't get smitten today. I mean, right? That's not... Because we think it is God's love for us that compels true life change. Now, being afraid of God in some sort of wrath way might amend your behavior for a certain period of time, but there's usually not much stick to to it. But when you begin to see God's grace and mercy and His great love for you, it transforms life in a way that it's just powerful and amazing. And we think that's the mission that God has given to us. And so it's a mission of love. And then He's called us to teach and demonstrate the ways of Jesus. And we think Jesus has literal ways. It's not ethereal. It's not abstract. It means when you're at Subway and the person behind the counter puts regular mayonnaise instead of the light mayonnaise that you asked for, you are to teach and demonstrate the ways of Jesus, which means what? That you don't go off on them, right? Like when you pay for your gas, you go into Speedway there, and you're trying to pay for your gas, and somebody cuts in line, or you're at Martin's Supermarket, and the, the sign clearly says 10 items or less, but you can see in their cart they got 14. We act in the ways of Jesus, right? And we teach, it's, not, it's not ethereal. There's literal ways, and we see them at work among us. When somebody has been seriously wounded in life and have every reason to hate and be bitter at somebody else, I mean, really, literally wounded, yet they forgive anyhow, it is a demonstration of the ways of Jesus. When people who have no business being together because of background and ethnicity and whatever, it is, whatever category you want to put on it, but they come together as one people under community of faith under Jesus Christ, it is a demonstration of the ways of Jesus. When we see marriages being put together again, when we see people who are healed from sicknesses and disease, those are all literal demonstrations and teachings of the ways of Jesus. And so our invitation is for others to join us on that, because this is important. It's a lifelong journey, right? The end of this is it's a lifelong journey, which means our message is never, hey, we've arrived, we're perfect, we're the perfect church, and if you'd like to be part of the perfect church and we can help you be perfect, come be with us, right? That's not it. It is, no, we're all pretty messed up. We're all taking next steps towards Jesus, and you're welcome to be a part of this journey as we're trying to have our lives transformed under Jesus. That's our mission statement. And then here's our vision statement. It's four sentences. They're both, all four sentences are long, which is probably ridiculous, but let me share them with you anyhow. Number one, we are, in, I'm talk, am I talking fast? I talk fast anyhow. Man, I get all excited. Like, so go listen to the podcast. It's back over again, and if your computer can slow it way down, that might help you. I'm going to keep going. Sentence number one. We are ambassadors of Christ, demonstrating the kingdom of God wherever we find ourselves. And this is important. Paul uses the language of being an ambassador. And you probably know, based on government, what ambassadors do. Ambassadors represent a nation in a foreign nation. So the United States will send ambassadors to foreign countries, and in that country they will represent the interest of the United States of America. They'll enter into diplomatic, diplomatic talks. And in fact, in the compound or the consulate that they live in, it will actually operate under the rules, the laws, and the Constitution of the United States of America. They represent the United States wherever they're at. And Paul says that's what you are for Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, you should represent the government of Jesus, wherever that is. So if you work in Elkhart, right, if you work in Elkhart, you are to represent Jesus. If you live in Mishawaka, in a neighborhood in Mishawaka, you can represent Jesus. Now, this is important because we're going to start talking about the south side of South Bend, but not everybody here lives on the south side of South Bend, and that's okay, all right? In fact, how many of you do not live on the south side of South Bend? Hands here. See, look around. There's lots of people. See, we're going to come to you in just a moment, and it won't be a message of repentance. It's okay. It's, it's going to be okay. God loves you. Hang with me because it might sound like he doesn't love you, but he really does, and I'm going to get to you in just a moment. So here's the deal. Wherever you find yourself, you should be an ambassador for Christ. But we have decided here at the Living Stones Church at 718 East Don Moyer Avenue that we were going to provide, we were going to collect, our collective energies will be focused and dedicated on the south side of South Bend. There are approximately 
two, well, there's two zip codes on the south side of South Bend, 46613, 46614. There are approximately 42,500 people who live on the south side of South Bend. There are 11,800 children who live on the south side of South Bend. And we have decided as a church that we're going to collectively focus our energies on that part of town. And without apology, because we know it's sort of like light. Diffused light, I mean, it's nice because you can see things, but it doesn't have near the power as a laser. And you know what laser is? It is simply a high concentration of light coming together. And with laser focus, it seems to have greater power and force and impact. And that's what we want to be. Because our experiences, when you say, oh, we just want to love everybody, what that means is you typically don't love anybody. And we've seen that with church missions. Like when churches say, well, what's your mission? Well, we just want to reach out to everybody. and We want to love everybody. And we want to tell everybody about Jesus. And in the end, what it means is they don't love, teach, or share Jesus with anybody because it's just too broad. We have discovered, if we agree collectively, no, we have a very specific focus. And this is where we think God has called us to. There's greater impact in that. And I'm telling you this morning, as I look out, I am seeing the evidence of that impact. Because I remember our story. I remember where we were. I mean, some of you, come on, we're with me too. I mean, you remember where we were in 2003 when we were taking pews out and trying to figure out how to make it not look so obvious that we were so small. Yeah, it was miserable. So you're... And so in that, we decided to collectively concentrate our collective energies on places like Miami Hills and Southmore and Monroe and Riley and the neighborhood around us, and we do so with intentionality and purpose. Does that mean God doesn't love people in River Park? Yes, he does. But we don't do anything at River Park. We don't. We've, we've committed ourselves to the 42,500 people who live on the south side of South Bend. Sentence number two. We will do this through the pursuit of intentional relationships established by the Spirit of God through prayer, service, and invitation to follow Jesus. You see, what that means is, is we think Jesus is a very relational, I mean, nobody is our project. Can I just say it like that? Like Livingstone's church, our project is not Miami Hills. We don't ever go to Miami Hills and go, hey, we'd like to treat you as our project and we'll do good things for you if you'll be okay with it. I mean, that's like a project. And some people are okay with that if they really need something, but you will never have genuine relationship unless it's reciprocal. And reciprocal relations mean there's always a give and a take. And in that, that's what we desire for the community around us. The kids at Monroe School are not our project. The students at Riley High School, they're not our project. We think God has called us to enter into genuine relationships with them and in that for it to be redemptive. And so our prayer, so we do it three ways. Through prayer, service, and invitation, we seek relationships here on the south side of South Bend. Let me share a couple things that happened to you, uh, happened to us. In terms of prayer, we began this in 2006 with 40 days of prayer. Like as a church, we thought, we got a prayer room we put together down the, down the hall, and we just called the church, which was much smaller at the time. Let's spend 40 days, every hour, could people, somebody just one hour, just a one-hour shift, come here to our prayer room and pray for this vision, for this side of town, for this ministry, for the leaders here. And so I thought, you know, we'll do pretty good given our size. I mean, I know we're small, but we should, I mean, if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, it's not like God's going to withhold his blessing. It'll be all right. And in the end, for 40 straight days, every hour, we had somebody in that prayer room praying for this church and for this neighbor, these neighborhoods and for this vision. And I'm telling you, some of you are here this morning because of that. Now, you might not know that, but I know we lifted up lots of prayers, and some of you are here today because of that. And so one was just, we just need to pray. Let's just pray. The Lord will open up doors for us to be in relationship. And then number two, it doesn't have to be all corporate, like we have to do it all as a church. It could be individual. And so this is what we say. 
being a part of the vision of the Livingstones Church, you should pray for opportunities for relationship with other people who live around here. Which means if you're going bowling on a Friday night, like you and your husband or you and your boyfriend are going to the bowling alley, before you go, you should just pray, Lord, is there somebody at the bowling alley you want me to meet that we might be good friends someday? And just pray and ask the Lord. And if it happens, isn't that awesome? And if it doesn't happen, don't worry about it. Bowl 200 and go eat pizza. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no pressure in it. Like, you don't have to be anybody new, you have to take on a new personality, you don't need to force anything, just pray, have eyes to see it if it happens, but it should happen so natural out of your own personality, out of God's will, it shouldn't ever feel awkward, it's just like, did it happen? Fantastic, if not, there's no pressure, go on and eat. If you're going to story time at the Tut Library with your kid, or the Center Township Library up here on Kern, before you go, you should just pray and ask the Lord, is there somebody else who's got their kid at story time that you want me to have a relationship with, that we can have a genuine friendship with, and go and enjoy the story and see if God opens those doors. And if he does, great. If not, just go to Chick-fil-A. Do you see how easy that is? There's just no pressure. And I see churches trying to get like, okay, we're going to have this, this system. You've got to say this. You gotta, if you die and go to hell. I mean, you, I mean, we don't have to do all that. I mean, just, just be yourselves under the Spirit of God. Number two, we knew we needed to serve. Because you can't be a church that's inward focused here in the same place for 50 years and then all of a sudden go, hey, we decided to be outward. Ta-da! And the community go, oh, great, welcome. You know what I'm saying? Like I'd have conversations with people who live on Woodside, like two blocks away from here, and we start talking, well, what do you, I'm the minister of the church there on Donmore. There's a church there on Donmore? Yeah, it's between Monroe School and State of the Clark School. There's a church right there. And they'd go like this. I thought that was an armory. No, no, it's a church. And, I mean, you know what I'm saying? You can't ignore your community for like 50 years and then also go, we're here. So we thought, well, the way you're going to overcome that, you've got to serve. You've got to be just like Jesus and serve people with no strings attached. I mean, like, we're not asking for anything. We don't hand out tracts. We're not preaching. We're not even asking the church. I mean, just to serve well. And so I remember the first thing we did is, is we went to Miami Hills with groceries, like to feed a family for a day. We asked the church, would you buy these things? Let's come together, pack these bags. We'll go to Miami Hills and give them away. And... Uh, like the church went out and got like $3,000 worth of groceries. We packed these bags and we went over to Miami Hills just to kind of deliver these things. It's the very first thing we ever did. And my experience at Miami Hills is, is the very first time I ever went to Miami Hills in any sort of significant way, we were doing a vacation Bible school. We invite all the kids. It's, we're going to hand out flyers and those sorts of things. So I went and I got, I was in my, at the time I had a little blue uh, Honda Civic and I was in the parking lot at Miami Hills and I was on the phone. Somebody called me, so I'm talking on the phone. And while I'm there, it's in the summertime, this guy starts kind of walking around my car. I didn't feel unsafe, but it was kind of weird. You know, just kind of walk around the car. And finally, he kind of he wants to know what time it is, so I give him the time, and he walks away. And unbeknownst to me, little pockets of people are kind of forming in the parking lot, just kind of around the perimeter. So I get out of my car, totally oblivious to everything. I'm curious about, like, the buildings, the numbers, the signs, how they all. So I go up to this little group. There's like three or four women here. And I go up to them, and I, I say, hey, uh, the sign here, does the numbers here for, go for this building? And she stops me mid-sentence. She goes, you FBI? And I was so flattered that she thought I could even get into the FBI <laughs> that I didn't know whether I should just go with it. Like, yes, I am. I, I mean, so I, no, 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 no. And I told her, I'm the pastor of the church around the corner. And we had this great conversation then about vacation Bible schools and kids and the needs at Miami Hills. But there's sort of a spirit of fear that could get right, right on both sides. And so Miami Hills, we are going to deliver these groceries and these bags. And we said, we go by two by twos, because that's biblical. And, and don't go in the apartment complexes. Uh, and so where do we go? I don't know. God will work it out. Like in 10 minutes, all the groceries were gone. And so we just said, when they come to the door, just hand the groceries. Say, this is only as a demonstration God loves you. And that's it. Turn around and walk away. And as people turn around and walked away, that's when people want to have a conversation. Because, you know, they might be used to somebody giving you something, but there's usually some string attached. They want something. And we, no, you just need to turn around and walk away. And that's it. And as they started to walk away, that's when people wanted to talk and say, so 
yeah, this is, that's all we're doing. That's it. We're out of here. One guy had the, there's two women that went in. He said, come on in my apartment. I want to show you something. Which we said, don't go in the apartments. But they, they didn't listen. And we've excommunicated them. They're not here. This no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he opened up his fridge and his cabinet, and he had no food whatsoever. I mean, the only food he had is what we brought him. Now, we didn't think to ourselves, hey, let's do that. And then the next Sunday, 200 people from Miami Hills are going to show up. We, I mean, we didn't think that. But what we wondered is this. If we just served our community faithfully, month after month after month, year after year after year, if there's a moment where somebody was blessed by groceries at Miami Hills, or they have kids that go to Monroe School and they need help with school supplies, and they got school supplies from that church right around the corner, or they're at some other, right, uh, there's something coming up this coming Saturday, uh, almost Valentine's Day, so on Saturday we're handing out carnations and candy to people. We're going to blitz the south side, it'll be like 10 minutes time, it won't take any time at all, just handing carnations and candy to people. And it's weird how God works like this. In fact, last year, there were two women at the Starbucks here on Ireland Road, and they were talking about church and needing to find a church, and we're talking about God, and as they were talking, a little kid from Livingstone's church walks in and hands them a carnation, and they start coming, and they're here today. I mean, just because that's God works like It's weird how God works. That's going to happen on Saturday. But what we wondered is this. If they don't have a church home, if they don't really know anybody who goes to church, if they ever came to that place in life where they wondered if God would be an option, like that maybe God can be the answer, that at the very least what they'd have in their mind is, well, at least there's some church around the corner that seems to be active in our community. Maybe we can find God there. And that maybe if we go the distance in terms of time and serve faithfully, then what that will mean is we'll see real relationships starting on the south side of South Bend out of those acts. And it doesn't have to be a big, you know, church-wide thing. It could be real individual. Here's what we'd say. If your neighbor, like if you've got a widow and it's snowing and she can't shovel her walk, shovel her walk in the name of Jesus and don't expect anything in return. For a while... We, were, uh, we said, here's something you could do. We like, made up little cards that said, uh, uh, just, just because God loves you. And all the back, it said Livingstone's Church. And uh, people for a while, they're going through McDonald's. And we we're saying, like, if it's not a 15-passenger van behind you, maybe pay for their meal you know, uh, as you're going through. And so one day, Sarah Linball walks into our church and introduced herself and talking about, how'd you get here? She says, well, the craziest thing, she was at McDonald's, and the person in front of her paid for her lunch and left that card. She was so moved that she paid for the person's lunch behind her, and that person called U93, and they put it on the air, and that's why she came to Livingstone's Church the very first time. Isn't that weird? Isn't that crazy? How stuff like that? It's just serving, no strings attached. And so we knew, we think relations could be started like that. And then the third thing is just by invitation. Things like some of you got postcards inviting you to come to a message series here at the Livingstone's Church. Some of you remember what they were, sex, and others of you don't. And so what... <laughs> It, it, it didn't matter. It was just it's an invitation. Some of you are here because you saw a billboard up on Miami and Ireland, which Burkhart wants you to do something like a citywide. No, no, it's got to be on the. It's got to be that billboard, and they give it to us, and there it is. And and others of you here because you got invited by friends. Some of you got invited to a Young Life event. Some of you got invited to Underground Cafe. But there's just invitation, not only to God, but to the Living Stones Church. And we have seen over these past two or three years, we have doubled in size for the past three years. Right? And why? Why is that? This is. It's just God's calling, trying to be faithful, seeing if we can't have relationships on the south side of South Bend through prayer, service, and invitation. But we're not interested in just getting big, right? That's not the end. It's not like, hey, look at us. We're so big. And we're getting bigger. And, I mean, actually, not that big. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? Bigger than we were in 2003. But, anyhow, uh, it's about spiritual transformation. And so the third sentence of our vision statement is this. With all who accept this invitation, we will pursue spiritual transformation as disciples of Jesus in the context of community at every level, but especially in small groups. 
What this means is, as we've been saying now, because this is where we want to really emphasize in 2010, this idea of being changed spiritually, being transformed spiritually, being different at the end of the year than we are at the start of the year, because that's the goal. If you enter into Livingstone's church like today, at the end of this year, you should be different for the better, for the glory of Jesus. Not perfect. We're not saying you'll be perfect by the end of the year, but you should be different. That's the process of spiritual transformation. We're being changed into the likeness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that God can transform people anywhere He wants. It could be just you and God in your car. It could happen on a Sunday morning. But our experience is transformation best happens in a small group of people. And because we know you could come every Sunday morning, Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, I hope the cold's wind. I do too. Okay, we'll see you next week. And do that for like three years. And your, and your marriage is on the rocks, your life is on fire, and you can just put a smiley face on and pretend and just go on your way and we'll never know. But that's much more difficult to do if you're in a living room with 8 to 12 other people who love you and support you, and when you're going through a rough time can say, well, let me pray for you, let me encourage you, let me support you, can call you during the week to say, I just want to make sure you're doing okay and I want you to know that I love you and I'm praying for you. And so all those sorts of things could go down. And so we do growth groups here four times, four semesters a year, and we're in the middle of one right now. There'll be sign-ups starting in March for a whole other semester beginning in April, but we think spiritual growth happens, spiritual transformation happens in those contexts of small groups. And then finally, number four, and you know we've not done this yet. Like, this is a part of our vision we have never done, but this is where we're headed in case you're asking. Number four, then we will repeat this process by establishing other communities with like vision in other parts of South Bend, Michiana, and throughout the world. And so people will ask me often in terms of, well, like, how big do you plan on getting? And my answer is, I don't know. I mean, you could see the kind of space that we have here, and you know how many urinals we have in the guy's bathroom if you've been in there. I mean, you just... Right? I mean, that's, this is all the parking spot. I mean, I just want to be faithful with the 42,500 people who live on the south side of South Bend. Our dream as a church is never to consume the totality of the St. Joseph County. How many, I mean, you get what I'm saying? What our dream is is to eventually send out another Living Stones church to another part of South Bend. Not on a major thoroughfare, not on a major highway, not on a bypass, not with a big flashy blinking sign and a brand new building with air conditioning, although we're not against air conditioning but a church that is right in the middle of another neighborhood on the east side of South Bend. Surrounded by another 10,000 people right in their immediate neighborhood with apartment complexes. And instead of talking about Riley High School, they'll talk about Adams High School. Instead of talking about Monroe School, they'll talk about McKinley or Jefferson. Do you understand? It is like vision of doing Jesus kind of things in the heart and in the middle of a neighborhood. And we think that God is calling us then to one day, this is what I picture in my head someday happening, and I hope it comes to pass in terms of how, how it's going down in my head. But, you know, we went from one service to two services. We'll probably go to two services to three services this year. And then one day, I hope we gather around 250 people that we've all been preparing, people who, have a, who either live on the east side of South Bend, who have a heart for the east side of South Bend, or just have a heart for that kind of that new entrepreneurial spirit, you know, planting a new church thing gather around 250 people, and then that next Sunday we'll just send off a brand new Livingstones church on the east side doing the exact kind of things we've been doing here over there. And then picture in your mind the synergy that can be created with uh, Livingstones church on the south side and Livingstones church on the east side cooperating together. We could plant one on the west side and the north side and in Laporte, and we can go to Michigan City, and we can go to Niles, and we probably won't go to Granger because we heard they got a church there, but you, you get what I'm saying? <laughs> and in the end, we'll just take over the world. It's world domination for the glory of Jesus beginning on the south side of South Bend. I might not live to see the entire outflow of that. Sometimes you plant seeds for a tree in which, right, whose shade you might not ever enjoy, 
but we think God has called us to continue to send out other churches with a like vision to be right in the middle of neighborhoods doing Jesus things in Jesus ways. And this goes right back to what Tate mentioned in his uh, uh, comments at communion about Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This is such a biblical model in terms of that this is Jesus saying to his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait there in that upper room until you get the Holy Spirit. When you get the Holy Spirit, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If you read the book of Acts, that's the entire outline. How Christianity spreads from the city of Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. If you're looking at a map and you were to draw concentric circles around Jerusalem, the next circle will be Judea, then Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, as goofy as it sounds, our Jerusalem is here at 718 East Elmer Avenue. And so we just want to get a map and just draw concentric circles and figure out how do we send out other churches to be a blessing in neighborhoods all around us. And in it, we think that's how God is going to change the world and use us in it. And in it, I just got to tell you what's been most exciting to me is to see what he has done. That I remember. I mean, I know our story. I know where we began. And I get to see it isn't. And I know the story feels personal to me because, you know, my time at Lindenwood and room number something like that. But really what I've been able to celebrate and get so excited about is this story has been captured. God's calling has been captured by you. And you have run with it in ways that I would never hope, imagine, think, or have the giftedness or talent ability to do. In fact, some of the best things, like last year, one of the best things we ever did, I think, was that whole shoe event. And I wasn't even here for it which means I'm totally unnecessary and working myself out of a job, and I know how I feel about that, but I think it's fantastic to see God use so many of you where your personal story and God's story and the story of the Living Stones Church comes together in a way that brings purpose and meaning and true world change, and I think we're just beginning. I mean, I really believe, I mean, I'm so thankful that God has done, but I really believe we are just beginning the process of seeing God do great things. And I really do believe, this is what I really think will happen. We'll begin to see, because of that small little church at 718 East Delmar Avenue, that the crime rates on the South Bend drop. And I really do think, because of that small little church at 718 East Delmar, someday the Miami Hills will be owned by whatever nonprofit organization we set up, and we totally take all that governmental money and, and invest it right back into that apartment complex, and, and all of a sudden there's just no crime that takes place there, and that just so infrequently that cops are ever called out to Miami Hills. That I think because that little church that meets at 718 East Don Moyer, the I-STEP test scores in places like Monroe and Lincoln and Jackson and Marshall and Riley will be better. That children will have hope for their future to be able to see things that they would not otherwise be able to see, but because we decided to love well those who are around us. And I think this is the very heart of Jesus. Because when Jesus walked on the face of the earth, what he brought was radical revolution and transformation. And I'm telling you, Jesus is alive and well. And by the power of his spirit, exists among us. And because of that, is empowering us to do mission that is possible. Will it require God? Yep. <laughs> We're just not that good, not that talented, not that big, not that rich. It will require the Spirit of God at work among us, but it will be for His glory. And in the end, we will see Jesus lifted up here and in our area and in our world because of a dream that God has placed and a calling that God has placed among us to change the world for His glory. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray together. 
Father, I just ask that you'd continue to do what you are at work already doing. And we give you thanks for the heart and passion that you've given to us and for the victories we've been able to celebrate and for the great things we've been able to see among us. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for being faithful when we doubted or when we were scared or when we had fear or when we wondered if everything was collapsing, that you in the end not only rescued but brought us to places we only hoped or imagined. And we believe, Lord, by faith that we're only beginning and that if we'll just keep our eyes on you and are faithful to you in all things, you will bless us in this. And so thank you for this calling. We want to be faithful in that. And Lord, we know not even in us, but in other churches around us. Lord, there are other great churches that you're at work in. We pray blessings on them. And may they too get to participate in your mission and see with their eyes fantastic, great things for your glory. Lord, empower us with what we lack. Give us what it is that we need. And may we serve you well. For your glory's sake we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing to this God, this God of the city.